Well, everybody here has been to some significant meal, something that was really, really special, a great meal. And where there might have been a whole extravaganza going along with it. And what we're going to do is bring up the little guys up here. And we're going to kind of explain to them a little bit of what our passage is dealing with today. So if I can have the kids come on up. Children. Come up, children. Here comes Anna. Anna's making her present. There she is. Hey, guys. How we doing? Good to see you. Yeah. Good to see you. Get in here. Get in here. Get in here. Hey, now, you guys remember when we were last here about a couple of weeks ago? And we talked about that, uh, yeah, and we talked about the, the perfume, right? Did we talk about that? And she gave everything she had for Jesus. Well, you know what? How many, do you guys have pets? Do you have any pets? Do you have pets? Two dogs, two cats. Two dogs, two cats. Yeah, really hard. You like those cats? Yeah, but Ma'am? No, because she's cute, but she's kind of a devil. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's good. You guys have pets? No, for real. Um, I believe it. I know those. Uh oh, uh oh, that's that's not good. Well, it's good because I used to have a couple of cats, but then I learned about one was behind the age calling me. They tell the truth. <laughs> you guys tell the truth, don't you? Right? But you, but you like animals, right? You like animals? Yeah, and they ran away. Ran away. We all had animals that are run away, probably. And but so you got a, you you have a dog? Yeah. Do you got you guys like you I know but my dog is a little <laughs> Do you do you pet your dog? Uh, you like well, that? Yeah. Actually I actually usually jumps up. Do you guys have a pet lamb by chance? No. No pet no. lambs? No. No? Pet lambs? None of you have pet lambs. Do you think that'd be pretty cool to have a pet lamb? They're pretty gentle, aren't they? And and, and they won't bite you. So you know what? They're back whenever they they celebrated a a big time, like a feast, a festival, you know, a a good celebration, just had a good time. They all meet together and they would pick out a lamb and it would be like a spotless lamb, a really beautiful lamb and you'd take it home and the kids would get to pet it and they'd probably even name that lamb and it'd become real precious for them. But you know what? After four days, four days later, they would have to take it to the temple. And what they would have to do with that lamb is something that you wouldn't want to do because now you've gotten used to that pet and you really like that pet. And now you're so identified, you know that pet, and the pet knows you and you love that pet, but you have to give him up because he has to actually die. They have, he has to die because he's going to take our place. That lamb was going to take the place of the people because of their sin. So he had to die. There had to be blood shed. And that would be something that you'd be really dear to you, really precious. And what, but what that would happen is that was like really showing us what Jesus would be like. Because you remember, Jesus had to die for our sins on the cross. He died on the cross for what? Our sins. That's right. Sin means something that we did. uh, We have a bad nature, or we did something bad that doesn't. That's not like God. It comes short of who God's glory is. Or like standing with pets. Yeah. How, How about? How about shooting an arrow at a target and you miss the target 
Well, God is the target, and if we if we shoot our arrow, and if our lives don't aim at who God is, it misses the target, and that's that's like what sin is too. It never gets yeah. to where God wants us to get. Yeah, it, does the it? people were thinking God that was doing bad. We need somebody to take our place, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And Christ did that. Okay, guys. Very good. Very good. You guys think they did a good job? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in here today. Now, you're going to be doing some different things, but if you pop back in and out, you'll know kind of what we're talking about. That's what we're doing. We're going to be talking about that. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Well... We've all been at some significant meals, but there is a meal that is the most important meal. Now, you've had important meals, but there's one that's the most important meal ever in the history of this world. And it deals with Jesus. And let's put it this way. You're going to an important meal, and if you knew that one who was your close friend was about to betray you. And he was supposed to be really close to you. And you knew that he was going to betray you. Matter of fact, you even knew that he would betray you and even arrest you. And what would you do with that? Would you actually invite him over to your house and eat this most important meal knowing that He is going to betray you, turn you over to the authorities, and be arrested? Well, I would think probably not. Now, this section deals with the most famous, the most dramatic betrayal scene that we're all so familiar with. And, of course, you can think in history down through the ages there have been um, stories of betrayal. And you can think of... Brute. Right? You know what that one is? Shakespeare, right? And um, in that Shakespeare play, a very famous betrayal was done there also. But I believe it pales in comparison to this betrayal by Judas. Uh, This betrayal takes place in one of the most intimate settings in all the Bible. As Jesus gives His last minute instructions to the disciples... And he teaches them about humility as he washes their feet. He teaches them about the Holy Spirit, that they will need him. He will be coming, uh, that he will be coming back for them. Uh, We know uh, all at that same time, we know that there's a prayer that he says in Garden of Gethsemane. He has that one in John 17, that high priestly prayer. Now, this is the Passover that Jesus looked so forward to celebrating with them. And the betrayer is invited to this great grand meal. How important it is. Now, this Passover that Jesus is going to celebrate is the last one for Jesus and it's going to be the most meaningful ever. I mean, this is the Passover. He is the Passover. He is the fulfillment of the Passover. Being that Passover Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This celebration is about redemption, deliverance out of bondage. The Lamb comes and takes our place, as we were talking with the kids earlier, this precious Lamb, and He is sacrificed for us, absolutely spotless and blemish, with no blemish. As it says, I believe, in... uh, in Revelation, worthy is the Lamb that was slain and has redeemed us to God by His blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. That forever will be the theme in heaven. There's a Lamb. And it's just as if He's been freshly slain. He's in the midst of the throne. And all the throngs of glory are round about Him and that glassy sea and there's the blood-bought redeemed around there, and they're singing praise unto the Lamb. And this is what we're seeing now in time on this final week here in uh, this Gospel of Mark. 
the Lamb is being delivered to be slain at the final Passover. And how significant is that? So the whole meal is designed to emphasize this redemption story. And it's been celebrated for something like uh, up to the time of Christ, somewhere around 1,500 years they have been doing that. That's a long time. Doing the same thing year after year. The most important meal ever in the history of mankind was done right here. This is what we're going to peer into today. Even though it's something we we're very familiar with, may it bring on fresh insights and be precious to us as we look at our Savior. Matter of fact, what is this last Passover really is that it actually turned in to First Communion. And that's our title for the day. Isn't that interesting? Usually when you hear of First Communion, what do you think of? This is the First Communion. This is where the Lord's Supper is initiated. This is where it's really started. The church is so familiar with communion, but is mostly ignorant about where it came from, what its roots are about. And it's a shame because it's one of the most joyous stories there is in the Bible. And we know that Jesus institutes this Last Supper or communion at the very last part of the feast. After they've been there for hours and hours, almost the whole night that evening, it speaks so well of as they commune with Him, they feed off Him, they remember Him. And what's going to happen is that the elements are going to become new. The bread and the wine. And the Old Testament is going to transcend transcend into the New Testament. From the Old to the New. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here as He binds this covenant. And gets that ready. The whole Passion Week, where did it start? started with that triumphal entry, right? Then He was teaching at the temple. He was healing at the temple. And then the answering of the crazy questions that they tried to keep coming up with that would stump Him and make Him look bad. These were by the religious leaders in the last time we were here, which seems like weeks ago. We only missed one week because of that ice. Wasn't that something? But uh, two weeks ago we talked about Mary. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and uh, there they were... eating together at, at that night, that having a special evening. And now, it's Thursday. And this Passover is, is designed, it's controlled by Christ in everything that happens. He is sovereignly leading in this, which is going to lead to His death, and He knows it. And it has to be that way. Everything, every little detail is perfectly planned out. This was penned before the foundation of the world. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. It's executed exactly as God had intended before the foundation of the world. Let's uh, take up our Mark 14 Scripture passage starting at verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, prepare for us there. Disciples went out, came to the city, found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table and eating. Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be grieved and say to him one by one, Surely not I. And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, One who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go just as is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. While they were eating, He took some bread, 
and after a blessing he broke it, gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth, how deep and how precious it is to us. And as we go over a very familiar passage, may it just bring truth even more to light than we've had before. And we'd be excited about what Christ has done here. In Jesus' name, Amen. We start at verse 12. This is after Judas has now gone out, after uh, he was at that uh, gathering they had at Mary and Martha's house, uh, went off to the chief priest to, to get a plan going. And now we come to the, this design of the Passover. It's going to be prepared. And, you know, in the elements, as far as the elements are concerned, in um, Passover and then the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, right? The bread. You have the feast of unleavened bread. And you have Passover. It's an eight-day celebration. They just kind of run together. Unleavened bread. He is the bread of life. Matter of fact, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. He is the bread, isn't He? And then we know that He is our Passover Lamb. And of course, that Lamb is going to shed its blood. That's what everybody knew what the lambs were for. They were to be sacrificed for them and their sins. So during this week, it celebrates these two ancient festivals that go back to the time of Exodus and Moses where you have unleavened bread, Passover. He is the very essence of these celebrations. He is the fulfillment of these feasts. And it's going to be prepared by the disciples. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed at that time, God's perfect timing, Jesus, that same night, that Thursday night, is going to partake of them and celebrate the Passover. I think that's incredible. This is Thursday. But there's going to be Passover lambs brought on Friday to the temple and sacrificed. So how does that ultimately fulfill that? And I think that's rather uh, interesting to find out what was going on at that time. Because the Galileans who lived up north celebrated their Passover on what would be that Thursday night or that that night before. It was how they kind of counted the the time. But the Judeans and the people who lived in the south of Israel there and in Jerusalem, they would do it on what would, of course at this time, be um, Friday. So let's say it that way. You have, you have the day before, and but at the very same time that they sacrifice those lambs on that Friday, and, and they're actually going to do it on Thursday too because those lambs are going to have to be killed then. But on that Friday at that time, He will be crucified at the very same time they have the slayings of the lambs for that day. So He gets to celebrate it, and at the same time, He gets to be the one the next day. Isn't that amazing how that worked out in timing? As He... Uh, brings this forth. What a, what a teaching that He is going to have for them. So you can see how important uh, this really is. Now, we, uh, just a little bit about this, uh, the Passover lamb that was being sacrificed. We know in Exodus 12, the Passover was to be something that they were going to... Um, the, the, the Israelites were going to have to put the blood over the doorpost. Or their firstborn would be killed. They would lose their firstborn. Be the death of the firstborn. But they were warned by Moses, by God's instructions, to, if you put it over the doorpost, you won't lose your firstborn. And that's exactly what happened. They didn't. The Israelites are saved. 
They're delivered and they're going to be led out of there. But the Egyptians do lose their firstborn. Everyone that had the firstborn lost them, no matter what age. And it's because they didn't have that blood that covered them. The Israelites were passed over. They didn't get the death angel. They were passed over. So there we get the name of the Passover. You know what they would do? They would choose the lamb a few days before. On the tenth of Nisan, they would take a lamb, a precious lamb, spotless, no blemishes. And just like I was telling the the children earlier this morning, that that lamb would be kind of come become personal to a household as they would bring that lamb in. They would examine him. Did you know that four days before Jesus came in on that triumphal entry and He was examined and He was spotless and perfect, wasn't He? And did you know on the 14th of Nisan is the day when they were to kill that lamb? Did you know that that's what happened? And there is a good chance, instead of it being Palm Sunday, it might very well have been Palm Monday. 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th. And many uh, will say that. There's discrepancies uh, exactly when that those days were. But the way that it plans out in God's plan, it's perfect. And uh, so anyway, there's a substitution involved here and there's a redemption, isn't there? A lot of big words dealing with what salvation was about. I think the symbolism, the types, the shadows are quite remarkable in the story of Exodus about uh, the Passover lamb and that being Christ. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says that He is our Passover lamb. He is the fulfillment. They did it every year for 1,500 years using the animal. But then He came on the scene and showed this is it. I am that Lamb now. And this is what takes away the sin. The lambs never did really take away the sin. It has to be Christ. They looked to Christ, but in the meantime, they had these pictures to help them understand what that sacrifice would be. If you took a little lamb to be sacrificed and it had become part of the family and then the throat had to be slit, that would make quite an impact on you, wouldn't it? And that's what happened to Christ. So this story is told every year. And then Jesus says, this is me. That's what this is leading up to. What an incredible thing. By the way, these Passovers, we know, and as many as we have here that go way back in the early years, some of you remember it, we had Passover where we would actually start at, and we did it not as a legalistic thing, but as a time of just teaching. We invite all of us our friends saved and non-saved, and we just got it got bigger in number every year because people heard about it and they they liked the food, they liked the whole idea behind it, and so a lot of people that were not even believers came in there and they liked it, and it was a great witnessing tool. So we we did that, we did it for several years. It was a lot of work because uh, the ladies prepared the meals and they they kept it kosher like like it was just to keep it kind of how can you say traditional in the way that. Uh, they did it and tried to understand that. And we'd go through that whole story. And it would be hours. We would do it literally for hours. And can you imagine having little kids more than uh, a half an hour or 15 minutes? You know, and, and you still haven't eaten yet. You're, you're taking some things to eat as you go along. Horseradish. It's powerful. <laughs> Lots of grape juice. And and unleavened bread, that will keep you going, but you're still looking for that, that big meal. You're looking for that. That's what you want, you know. But you get that story and the kids are all part of it, like we were talking about this morning, and you know, they'd ask them questions and such, and it was really a neat thing. But I'll tell you what, it would probably get a little tiring because it'd go into the wee hours of the the morning maybe. It could go at least up to midnight, a long evening. You start at six o'clock, you can go to twelve, and it's not till really at the end that you really really start eating 
<laughs> close to it. Anyway, disciples know all about this. This is the great feast. They're at, they're around Jerusalem, right? They've been there this whole week. And this is where the question comes in. Okay, we, we, we set all this up. It seems like I've taken forever. My, I, I took, I've taken 25 minutes to get this set up. And a lot of you have said, I've heard all this. I know this. I know this. I think our church uh, lately has done this, but we didn't do a really big meal or anything. We just had basically the, the elements. We haven't done the real big meal. But... Uh, Anyway, um, they have a question. Okay, uh, where do you want us to go? Prepare for you to eat the Passover. We've got to do that. I mean, this is a must. Everybody does it. Where are we going to do it at? They have no home, right? The foxes have their holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has none, right? But you know what? He's already got this figured out. Somehow. They ask him the question. They've been at Lazarus' house in Bethany. Are, are we going to do it there? But no, it's, it has to be done in Jerusalem. It has to be done there. So they ask where? What's, what's the deal? And here's the answer. It's really secretive. You might find this really fascinating. And he sent two of his disciples to him. said to them, Go into the city. And a man will meet you there carrying a pitcher of water. It's following. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where's my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Okay. Gets like his two disciples along. Uh, this is Peter and John. You'll find one of the other Gospels. Um, this is what we're going to do, guys. Starts giving them instructions. Where it's going to be, when all this is going to start going down, Peter and John have the responsibilities to get this thing prepared. The few ladies that prepared Passover, as you know, that it it takes it takes a long time. It's like one of the you know the weddings. You know that women have to get the everything together for a wedding. You know, I mean, and so this is that day, and they're going to have to get a lamb, and then they're going to have to take it to the temple, and then they're going to have to have it sacrifice and they'll take some meat back. So this is the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ putting the plans together for Peter and John. And as he does this, as he says it to them, they just do what he says. Now here's the practical aspect behind that. What is it? Just do what he says. Just take his directions and say, okay, We'll do this. He says, just walk into the city and you're going to see this man with a pitcher of water. Okay? I think that's interesting. And he's, you know, he's carrying that. You can trust the sovereign God. He doesn't tell him the name. It's just going to be carrying this. You may not ever know God's direction, what it is the next day. But I will tell you, you do know His direction because of His Word. And I will tell you, He possesses all the keys to every door that you go through. He opens it up. And where you're at today, right here, at this particular time, He opened the door. <laughs> Whatever you're doing in life throughout the week and such. Why the secret? Why is this so secretive? You say, I don't see that it's a secret here. Well, Judas is the reason why there's a secret. Because the Lord knew what Judas was plotting. Matter of fact, He'll show it through this, this Passover. But He knew what Judas was planning. He had already gone out and started making plans. This would be a perfect place. Where they're going to wind up going is a perfect place to be taken by the temple guard, the police there, the leadership of the Sanhedrin. It's at night time. He's at a room at night. Judas doesn't know where it's going to be. None of the disciples know. They're already asking, where's it going to be? So he doesn't know. So he doesn't tell all the disciples. He tells two. Does that make sense? Now this area is going to be in public view. 
It's, it's in the city. They, you know, if all of them known that he was going to be there, and if Judas knows he's going to be there, then he would be defenseless. And they'd come and take him right out of that room right during the Passover. And there he is doing all the things that he has to do with the disciples and show this covenant and do this communion at the very end. So he made sure that they didn't know until they arrived where they were going to be that night. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Judas couldn't leave once he got in there, or at least till the time that he was supposed to. He would have been exposed. If he just gets up, he gets in that room, boom, he takes out, then it's definitely showing something. So he's got to play this really cool now. Yeah, he's going to leave. But he's not going to leave until the time is right. You see how God has a perfect plan and His timing is just awesome. Sometimes we wonder why He's delaying and what He's doing. But He knows, and He's already made it up the way that it's going to be. At the same time, we're saying, well, why not now? I'm waiting. It's going to happen on the Lord's timetable. We're talking about the sovereignty of God here. Every detail has to be laid out. You can say, well, isn't some of this by accident? (laughs) Not at all. God is never in accidents. (laughs) Certain things have to be accomplished that night. And what you get in John 13 to 16, 13, 14, 15, 16, it's a Passover there. Wow. Wow. That a lot has to go on during that time of the Passover. When you think about it. And even that high priestly prayer, John 17. So he can't be taken out before the time, can he? And he will not. I can't emphasize that too much. Because the old is going to be gone. And the new has come. By the way, you're wondering, well, Peter and John, how do you know that's Peter and John? Mark doesn't say it. Well, it says in Luke 22.8. So we have that. The man with the pitcher of water. Well, that should be a red flag to them. To us, we'll go, okay, well, yeah, they, they had to go get the water and men would carry the water. No, men at that time didn't carry the water. That's what the women did. That's what they did. They carried the water pitchers. That was their duty. And Jesus is saying, when you see the man carrying a pitcher, you're going to know. Out of all the people carrying water, they're going to look, oh, no, that's, that's a woman. That's a woman. It's pretty easy to tell at that time. That's a woman. 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 There's a man. That, that's him. Okay. So they go, you know, they're, they're thinking, out of all these people in Jerusalem and you want us to pick out somebody carrying, but yeah, that's what I want you to do. Fantastic. Okay, we'll do it. I'm sure it'll happen. How? There it is. So they follow the man. And what what they are to do is follow him. So they do. Wherever he enters, he enters a house, then I want you to say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, the rabbi says, and he knows exactly what's going on here. I think Jesus probably planned this out with these men beforehand. The place where it's going to be. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm just going to suggest probably of that way. Or it could have been just absolutely miraculous in the sense that that's just the way it came out. And I don't doubt that either. It can be either way. I tend to think that he knew these guys, knew where it was going to be, and talked to them about it. So they already know what's happening. This sounds familiar. Didn't this happen before? Yeah, almost a week before this, or a few days before. You remember the triumphal entry? I want you to go get the coat, you know, the the foal of a donkey. And there again, they don't know where they're going and who it's going to be, and it's just laid out perfectly. So, And they had been in Jerusalem not too long back or during some time in the week Jesus might have talked to them. That's just the scenario. That's the possibilities that put for you um, about prior arrangements. That can be. No uh, dogmatism about it. I just think that that would 
that would make sense too. But it seems that uh, Jesus probably would have known the man. And you're going to find out as they go into this house, this is what we know as the large upper room. Uh, that's where a guest room would would be. But uh, whatever the Lord is directing you to do, if you do it, if you're obedient, you trust His Word, you will find out later that everything turns out exactly as He planned. If you're obedient, right? Well, there's part one. You ready to go on to part two? We know we know how that story is. They found it, went up there, they prepared the, the Passover. Um, and then the disciples now go back into the city. They, it says they went out, they came to the city and found it just as He had told them. That possibly they were in Bethany and now they come to Jer- uh, Jerusalem and uh, there's the, the Passover. And uh, Peter and John and have uh, helped get this together. And it says, when it was evening, he came with the twelve. Now, that's the, the disciples. I, I think Peter and John are there. It's, it's the grouping, the, the twelve, the apostles. Now, as they set to eat, Jesus teaches us this at this point that there is humility involved. Because these guys have been going around saying how great they are. And it's possibly as they get ready, as they say a blessing, as they wash their hands, possibly while they're washing their hands. Remember, some of you might remember that symbolism there. They would have, there would be a prayer said. Uh, you know, it would be the lighting of the candle and that kind of thing. And the lady would be saying the prayer. It, this time, they it's just Jesus and the apostles there. But then they would have this ceremonial washing it's just symbolizing a, a washing of the inside and this is possibly where then he takes like a towel goes down the floor and washes their feet right here at this Passover and they wash their hands but Jesus is going to wash their feet Peter really had a problem with this. This is the the king. And he's doing a lesson, humility and service. And he was teaching them that he's about to serve them. Not just as he washes their feet. That's a duty of a slave or a servant. He is a servant. Matter of fact, in the book of Mark, that's what you see, don't you? He is the servant. Well, we see that things are coming together and the ultimate serving is going to be the cross because this is where this is all pointing to. And so as they were reclining at the table and eating, of course this is the unleavened bread and the haraset. And so they're kind of going along as this prolonged meal is happening. And they would be reclining their feet or not under the table as we sit at a table and have our feet underneath. They would have their feet away and uh, on some kind of a reclining couch of some nature and feet are away from the table and their heads are towards the table. And uh, we know that Josephus, historian, tells us no less than ten men or twenty you have to have at least 10 to 20 people in a household to eat this Passover. So they would have picked out their lamb. They would have gone to the temple during that day. Priests would have killed it, offered it on the altar. They would have brought some meat back. There would have been meat that was burned there. It was uh, then, But the disciples now take back what their meat is to the Passover place. They're ready to eat it. So you have the prayer of thanks. You have this first cup. And you have the ceremonial washing of hands. And while they're talking of their unholiness and talking about the great, their own greatness, the Lord just points out a problem. In Luke 22-24 it says, A dispute arose among them as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. <laughs> Don't you know 
that this had to be some kind of a symbol of a message to them? As Jesus does that, a dispute arose. So anyway, you'd have the bread broken, it's that flat bread, that flat unleavened bread, and then you have the fruits and nuts and the apple mixture, and and then they'd be praising God, they'd be telling this, the Exodus story, and you'd have the kids doing the four questions, and it's all an interaction time, and and uh, it's just a great, great time of worship, really, what it is. And, and then they, they will be doing the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, reciting, singing some of those. And then the main course, the meal. They've had two cups drank already. Now there's going to be a third cup. And this is where, of course, this is all eventually going to come into play as far as what we understand as the Lord's Supper. Jesus said in Luke 22:15 and 16, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. By the way, that desire, earnestly desire, the language on that is very emphatic. It's very strong. It means this. I desire with a desire to eat this supper with you. And it's going to happen, isn't it? Because it's a special time with His disciples. What a, an intimate time. But just think of all the stuff that's behind this. He's making that transition from the old to the new and completing what God had started. He's launching this New Testament era. This is going to be the greatest meal ever until one to come. <laughs> that will be at... So, by the way... In, uh, I think it's Ezekiel 45, 21 to 25, which is a future tense. And it cannot be in our time or even at the time of Christ. In verse 21, In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, Ye shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days. Unleavened bread shall be eaten. On that day the prince shall provide for himself and all the people of the land a bull for a sin offering. During the seven days of the feast he shall provide as a burnt offering to the Lord seven bulls and seven rams without blemish on every day of the seven days and a male goat daily for a sin offering. This is Ezekiel. This is not Exodus. This is not a past tense. This is not a present tense. The whole um, uh, context Taking it in context is a future time. And he's talking he said, wait a minute, sacrifices, what are you talking about? That that's already been done. Yes, it is. It's fulfilled at the cross. But were those sacrifices that they did, were those wrong? Were those evil? Well, they pointed to Christ, but we don't need anything to point to Yes, we do. Why do we have the Lord's Supper today? It points back as a picture to understand what happened at the cross. We just look back at it. It's called a memorial. What's a memorial do? You remember. There's nothing wrong with remembering. There's nothing wrong with looking forward to. So in, in Ezekiel, if you take 40 through 48, you'll find it very fascinating. The details there are incredible. Down to the very inch. Anyway, uh, there will be a passage I'll bring at the very end of this message to uh, kind of show that new time whenever He comes back and we eat with Him. Now, He predicts the betrayer in verse 18. Now, they're into this Passover already. Truly. And that means, hey, check this out. Listen to me. Listen! You ever heard of Charles Stanley? <laughs> you know, you might be kind of going like this, you know. And all of a sudden, he says, listen. And you go, what? what? <laughs> Truly! I say to you that one of you betray me. It's going to be one of you, the the apostles. What? What? None of them have any idea about Judas. Jesus does. He knows. Wow. Really? Is this going to happen? He predicts this. One of you is a devil. One of you is an adversary, an enemy. Jesus knew his heart. And so in verse 19, we get the disciples, and they're just aghast. 
thrown away by this. They began to be grieved. Say to him, one but surely not I. You're not talking about me, are you? You're not talking about me. Are you, are you, that can't be me. Are you talking about me? They're all, the word there is samotra, and it means strongly, violently distressed, agitated. They have no clue, absolutely surprised by what he's saying. So we go to the clue of who it was in some verse 20, and he said to them, it's one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. Wow. One who dips with me. To break bread in the Middle East was a token of fellowship. A token of deep, lasting friendship. He says, this guy's going to do that. He's going to break bread. We're going to break bread together. And it's going to be somebody who's looking like he's in fellowship. But this is the most wicked, the most debauched, deepest, wicked treachery that you could ever see. What Judas does. He says, you're going to betray me, one of you. By the way, Judas did not function outside the will of God, nor did he alter the plan of God whatsoever. He did not thwart the plan of God. Then it says, verse 21, For the Son of Man is to go just as written of Him. He is to go just as written, and and, uh, He'll be betrayed by a familiar friend. That He'll be betrayed by one who lifts up His heel against Him who also takes bread with Him. It is written of him, he will go the way it is written of him. John 13, 18, back to the Psalms as a prediction. Psalm 41, 9, it talks about this happening. These are little details that are fulfilled this night. Every detail, the details of his crucifixion, Psalm 22, the meaning of his crucifixion in Isaiah 53, the detail of him being pierced in Zechariah 12, 10, the details of His resurrection in Psalm 16, other prophecies that were pre-written, pre-written history that came absolutely true. Hebrews 10.29 says this, rather somber, judging passage. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? That is quite the verse. Talking about people who ignore what the sacrifice is really about. A rejecter. He acts on his own motives. Even though this is all God's plan, let it not be mistaken that every human being is held responsible for what they do. And it's no different here. He operates on his own greed. He operates in his own selfishness, his own materialism. You remember that uh, perfume? And he said that could have been a year's wages that was just wasted there on Jesus there. Judas plays a crucial role in the death of Christ because the timing has to be perfect. It can't be any time before. It can't be any time later. God designs it. By the way, he was designed or he was allowed to be an apostle for ultimately this reason. Do you see God's sovereignty? And do you see man's responsibility? And say, to my human mind, it's kind of difficult. That's hard to fathom. It's God's will, but yet He does it. He's held responsible. Peter says to the the people of Israel in Jerusalem, this man whom you killed, crucified, you did it. But yet, we know that God did it. And so goes election, and yet people trusting in Christ. God is the one who draws us. Part of the plan, but He's he's responsible. And talking about one of the strongest statements I know of in Scripture on human responsibility is right here. For the Son of Man is to go, just as written of Him, but woe to that man 
by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And a lot better if he had never ever been born. Because he's going to be held even more responsible than most unbelievers. He had seen all the things that Christ did. We know in John 13, in the section 23-30, after the morsel Satan entered into him, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Wow. Jesus knew it was that time. I really don't think it was during the Lord's Supper. I think that was at the time where He left. Because the Lord's Supper is a fellowship between believers. And believers are to examine themselves in their sin. Well, we go to the last part and here we go. Now, get ready because what this is going to do is take us right into our Lord's Supper that we're going into today. We're all very familiar with this passage. He's at the Passover. We've talked about the things that they've done all that, that evening. They've eaten the supper now. They've partaken of that great meal. And now it comes to the Afikoman. That was the piece that where it was divided, it was broken, it was hidden. And the little kids, you know, they would then later try to find it during supper time. They'd get rewarded. That was all part of the little Passover thing. But it was hidden away in a linen cloth, wrapped up. It was like buried. And all of a sudden, he comes back. He unwraps that. The Afikoman. You know what the Afikoman is? Afikoman means dessert. They've eaten the meal. Takes that piece of bread. Now they divide it amongst them. And he says something they've never heard before. They've been going by rote all the way through. Except Jesus probably adding, adding some things here and there. Now we come up to this part and they go, wait, this isn't in the book. This isn't in the scroll. <laughs> wait a minute. While they were eating, it's, this is this is the meal. Right at the end of it, he took some bread, and there it is. This is the bread that's wrapped up, the one that's been buried, the dessert, the sweet part. And after a blessing, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Been saying 1500 years? Why wouldn't they be saying there? That only makes sense. There's the blessing. We say it usually. The Lord's Supper. He gave it to them and said, Take, eat. This is my body. There's the strange little twist. What? I've never heard this before. Take, eat. This is my body. Guess what's happening? Took that out of the grave. He has risen. He says, you partake of me. And now he's instituting the Lord's Supper. Isn't it a shame that most of the church doesn't even know where this came from? And you see all the blessings that's behind this when you go through what they did. And now he's saying, Old Covenant is going into the New Covenant. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. That's the third cup. Cup number three is a redemption cup. They've had a cup of sanctification. They had a... Sec- uh, that was that opening. And then they would have another cup that was... Um, now and then you get to the cup of redemption. This is the covenant. The covenant cup. Second cup was the cup of remembrance. There we go. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Lord Jesus is entering into the institution of the Lord's Supper. A new covenant signified in that that's agreement. The covenant will be at the cross. That's where it's fulfilled. By the way, in Jeremiah 31, it speaks of the new covenant and it was being promised as a far prospect in the future. And now we read here in Mark 
we find the new covenant that's now being promised as a near prospect. The next day. And it's about to be cut. And usually you have a bilateral agreement, covenant. This is singular. This is monergistic. Because he's the one that cuts the covenant. And you might remember Abraham. Abraham went to sleep. God put him to sleep. Jesus walked through animal pieces. And he's the one who makes the covenant. Thank the Lord. Because we'd break it. We're promise breakers, aren't we? But he keeps the promise. The blood of Messiah is the basis of salvation in the new covenant. That's why he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many. The many are the ones who are his. It's poured out for them. I'm almost finished, and we'll do this. Before we break bread, the Lord hasn't enacted a ceremony presenting and agreeing to a covenant. And they're going to sing some Hallel Psalms. Listen to some of these verses. You guys ready? Check these out. These are probably some of the things that they've been singing, will be singing as they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. The pains of death surrounded me and the pains of Sheol, the grave, laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore You, deliver my soul. That's Psalm 116. The same psalm, For You have delivered from my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Again, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. There has to be the death of Christ. Psalm 117, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. Psalm 118, You pushed me violently that I might fail, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Psalm 118 as well, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but that He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. Another, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. All of these are part of those psalms, the hallels. What do we say? Hallelujah. We sing that song, the hallelujah. Hallel. Hallelujah. Praise God. Right? This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes as it says in there. Psalm 118 again says, God is the Lord and He has given us light. Now listen to this one. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise You. You are my God. I will exalt You. Imagine our Lord singing these words. Imagine Him even singing before the cross which is going to happen, and singing these words right out of the Psalms, all pointing to what was going to happen. Marvelous, isn't it? Incredible. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this great story of the Passover. The Lamb of God who came to take away our sin. There's not a better picture you could have chosen for this wonderful story out of Exodus and celebrated for all those years and then Jesus comes in and institutes a new covenant and something that the church has done for 2,000 years 
has remembered that. And that's what we do now. How precious it is to remember our Lord, to proclaim His death and His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, His coming back, and the fellowship with Him, the fellowship with His people. It's all done by you. All for your glory. Your grace to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.